world-renowned, huh? Good afternoon, everybody. It's exciting to be here um, with you. It's even more exciting to be sharing the Word of God with you this morning. Would you bow with me as we uh, pray this morning and get started? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this glorious day that you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence this morning. Father, we pray, Lord, that your word will come forth this morning. We pray, Father God, that it's not me speaking, Lord, but it's you. It's the Holy Spirit. And may these words fall on fertile hearts this morning. And may we be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Good afternoon. When I came, um, came in this, this morning, um, Andrew came up to me and said, I heard you're preaching today. I said, uh, I think so. And he said, well, make it short. <laughs> so I was going to preach for two hours, but after that, you know, how could I not make it short? Um, it is, it's exciting to be here. This is definitely the day that the Lord has made, and we'll rejoice and be glad in it. First, I'd like to thank Pastor Rennie uh, for this opportunity. Um, and those of you who heard I was going to be preach, preaching this morning, and you still came anyways, I thank you. That is faith right there. There are people who believe that only pastors should share the word of God. I want to tell you that nothing could be further from, the, from that, from the truth. The truth is that sometimes the Lord will put a word in the heart of a layman or a laywoman, and that word is supposed to help you be encouraged, because then you'll find that other people have the same struggles that you have. There are other people share the same pains that you have, and, you, and you're encouraged. And sometimes the word challenges you, because it forces you to see that maybe you're not where you need to be, um, and then you, you go about making things right. So the, the, the message I bring this morning is not a message that I wanted to preach, uh, but it's a message that I need to hear. Because as a Christian and somebody who's been a Christian for a while, this is one area of my life where I struggle the most. So I tried to wriggle out of preaching this message and preaching something else. But the Lord doesn't hear that, doesn't want that. He wants me to preach this message. So this is a message for me as much as it is for you. And if at the end of the day I'm the only one who's struggling with this, then please pray for me, because I do need that. I'm not a preacher. You know, most of you know that you've seen me around here. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. But I love the Lord with all my heart. And I try to live out the true tenets of Luke ten twenty seven, to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. I get excited about the things of God. I get really, really excited whenever I have an opportunity to do something like this or to, to share the Word of God with somebody or to do anything or go to a seminar, something that has to do with the Word of God. I get very excited. I was that excited one day when I came home and I, I called my wife and said, I said, honey, I think I should go to Bible school. And, and she looked at me and she says, to do what? I said, well, you know, go to Bible school and, and study and, and maybe be a pastor. And she looks at me. She gave me that look. It was the same look she gave us when the children and I got together and we decided that we we're going to get a dog. <laughs> and we went and talked to her and we said, we want to get a dog. And she looks at us. It was the same look. When she gets that look, she, she practices what I call economy of words. She doesn't say very much. She says like two sentences. And she allows those two sentences to convict you. So she looks at me and she says, um, to do what? 
I said, well, you know, maybe be a pastor. She said, have you been called to be a pastor? I said, uh, well, no. And she said, well, honey, <laughs> you're a good deacon. You're a good businessman. Maybe you should stick with that. It was the same way she told us we couldn't get a dog. She just said, look at you. You can't even take care of yourself. How can you take care of a dog? So we never got a dog. And I never went to Bible school. So today I stand before you just a deacon, not a pastor. But I love the Lord and I love sharing the word of God. Because it's good news. I know that most of you, if you knew that somebody was coming into inheritance, you would want to share that if they don't know. Right? You would want to tell them that, hey, here's this inheritance, here's this kingdom that's been prepared for you. You need to be in it. You need to do what you need to do to be in that kingdom. We love sharing good news. And if somebody is actually, if that news that you have, that somebody else doesn't have, if their lives were to depend on it, you certainly want to share that with them. This is even more than their lives. We're talking about eternity. And that's why I like to share the word of God. And that's why I encourage everybody that I know to share the word of God. You don't have to be a preacher to share the word. I preach to myself sometimes. I preach to my children. I preach to anybody that I can find. Anybody who would listen to me for five minutes, I'll preach to them. And I encourage you to do that. Because you never know who's going to hear the word from you. And that word will be what will bring them to salvation. So I love to preach. And so I love this opportunity to be here today to, to, to share this message with you. As I said, this is, this is an area that I've struggled with for a while. And it's, it's amazing that for two weeks in a row now, I come in here and I hear the message from the Holy Spirit. And again, it convicts me some more about this particular area. I'm not going to drill you too much on the Bible today, but I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Matthew if you have your Bible, or if you're reading on an app, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read from verses 38 to 41. Matthew 5, 38 to 41. It says, you have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist the evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. I have read this passage so many times, so many times, and each time I read it, I'm a little dismayed. Each time I read it, I'm a little afraid. And the reason I feel that way, and if you're like me, you would feel a little bit that way as well, is that it tells me how far away I am from having the mind of Christ from living the way Christ wants us to live, from doing exactly what he wants us to do. Christ was a perfect example of this. His accusers had him, and they were saying all sorts of things about him. And rather, he could have called down the anger, the wrath of God from heaven. He chose not to do that. He chose to bless them. So I've read this message and I've thought about it and I've agonized over it because I struggle with this a lot. Remember, we're not talking about just forgiveness here. This is not for, just forgiveness. This goes beyond forgiveness. So let's unpack it for a little bit. It says, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other one. It's not just saying you forgive them. The Lord is asking you to go above and beyond forgiving that person. He's asking you to do something extraordinary. As a matter of fact, something unnatural. 
That's what he's asking us to do. I titled this message, Running Out of Cheeks. Because there are times that you just, you feel, okay, so, so what am I supposed to do again? Because you're dealing with people who may have such hatred that they are willing to continue to inflict pain upon pain upon you. And I struggle with this. If you have any sense of justice, you're going to struggle with this. If you have a sense of fairness, you're going to struggle with this. America is one of the fairest countries that I know. We love our liberty. We love our freedom. We want to be fair. We want things to be fair. So if you live in this country, you're going to struggle with this. This is the country where if you're walking down the road and you get to, to, to a pedestrian crossing... The moment you set foot there, you claim your right to pass. I see people walking on their, on their smartphones and they're just going. Once they're set there, they're just going this way. They don't care that a car is coming. Because they believe they now have the right for that crossing. I teach my children never to do that. Yes, you may have the right. Yes, you may be right that you could be dead right. But that's the, that's the freedom that we cherish. We believe this is now our right. And you, you driver, you have to stop. This is the land of liberty, the land of opportunity, the land of freedom. And yet Christ is telling us, if somebody sues you to take your shirt, that you give them your coat as well. How fair is that? It doesn't sound fair. But that's what he's asking us to do. This violates everything that we know in terms of fairness. He says if, if somebody asks you to walk a mile, you walk two miles with them. Sometimes people don't understand where that comes from. In the Roman, in the Roman law at the time, a Roman soldier could see you walking down the street. You're hurrying to get to church or to, to go pick up grocery or something important. And the law allows them to commandeer you to carry their backpack or their gear and walk a thousand paces. A thousand paces is, is a Roman, Roman mile. The law allows them to force you to carry their gear and walk a mile. But the law doesn't allow them to make you walk one step further than a mile. But Christ is saying, if this were to happen, you are running late for a business meeting. You are running late from getting grocery. You're trying to get to where you need to be. And somebody says, hey, you come here. You carry my gear and you walk a mile. Christ is saying, you walk two miles. So this goes beyond fairness. They've already been unfair to you, as it is. He wants you to do the extra step. To do something that sounds unnatural, something that sounds very unfair. Many people have used this passage to try to justify staying away from the military. As a matter of fact, a lot of people, when they hear this, they go, well, Christ wants us to be passive. But that's not what this passage is talking about. Christ doesn't want you to be a doormat. He's not asking you to be passive. He's asking you to do something extraordinary to somebody who has offended you. The book of Luke says that offense will come. I think Pastor Selwyn says this all the time. He says, if we haven't offended you, you just give us some time. You will be offended. If you live on this earth with us, you will be offended. You will be hurt. You will be wounded. And Christ is saying, when that happens... Not only do you forgive, but that you turn around and you bless the person that has offended you. So when people try to use this to justify either saying, um, I'm against war or I don't want to go to the military and this is why they decide this passage, that is incorrect. This is not what this passage is about. 
There are so many social and cultural reasons why this is just unfair. But Christ calls us to that higher place. He calls us to that higher place. It's amazing we sit here this morning and the Holy Spirit gives the word and talks about relationship. This was just what was running in my mind. If my accent hasn't given it away, I was born in Africa. In Nigeria and most of Africa, culture is very, very important. It's considered very important. Inheritance. Ancestral inheritance is considered very important. It's your birthright. If, if, you, if you had four children or if, you know, and you had a piece of land, when you pass on, as a matter of fact, I don't know about how it is now in other places, but in Africa, in, in Nigeria, it's frowned upon to sell your land, to sell your ancestral land. So those lands are handed down from generation to generation. So when you pass on, you hand over the lands to your children and they divide it among themselves and when they pass on, they hand them over to their children. It continues. And that's where you build your home and, and, and this is where you live. It's the same thing with cash crops. But the biggest cause of strife and controversy in Africa is when siblings begin to fight over those things. They kill themselves fighting over those ancestral crops and lands and, and, and buildings. They literally destroy themselves. My father was one of the most judicious persons I have ever met in my life. He was upright to a fault. It was black and white with him. There's just no gray area. You're either doing the right thing or you're not. And for 17 years, my father and my uncles were embroiled in this battle over a tree, a colonel tree. My father planted the tree, and his brothers didn't care about it. But when the, the crops, when the tree became profitable, his brothers wanted to be a part of it. And my father was like, that's not going to happen. For 17 years, they fought about this. And I remember saying to my dad, I said, Dad, would it be so bad if you were to share this with them? And he was like, no. They had the opportunity to plant something and they chose not to. And so they didn't have a relationship. The Holy Spirit talks about relationship today. For 17 years, they did not have a relationship. And so what is more important? Was it being right and sticking to your guns? Or was it having that relationship with your siblings? That's what Christ is talking about. That's what Christ is talking about. He's asking us to surrender our right to be vengeful, to retaliate when we've been wronged in order that we may have a relationship with him and the relationship with each other. When you turn around and you bless somebody who has wronged you, you have put that person where they need to be and they are going to turn around and realize that what they did was bad to you and they're going to grow to have a relationship with you. That is really what Christ is talking about. I lost the opportunity to have a good relationship with my uncles because of this. You know, sometimes people fight so much that they forget why they're fighting. The tree that they were talking about died, and seven years after the tree was dead, they were still fighting. And I remember going to my dad when I said, what is it that you guys are fighting against, uh, about again? He said, it was the tree. I said, but the tree's been dead seven years. They didn't even realize that. They were still fighting. The tree was long gone. But as, as wonderful as he was, he missed, he missed this particular verse in the, in the scripture. He missed it completely. 
Because if he did not miss it, he would be in a position where he could have rebuilt that relationship, even though he was wronged. And my uncles did admit that they were wrong. He admitted that he was, it was his. But for some reason, they couldn't give it up. And he didn't want to share it. And so they fought. My father was more an Exodus 20, 21 person. Exodus 21, 23 says, If there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. That's justice. That's justice. Actually, there's an Igbo proverb that says, I do not want to be killed, and I do do not want to be avenged. But if I am killed, I want to be avenged. You get it? I do not want to be killed. And I do not want to be avenged. But if you insist on killing me, then I want to be avenged. That's exodus for you. And that is the way a lot of us live our lives. Myself included. I struggle with this. I'm okay with the forgiveness piece. I'm totally okay with forgiveness peace. I think I've come to a point in my life, in my Christian walk with God, that that comes a lot easier for me. What I still struggle with is that extra mile. Is that turning around to go back and bless the person who has intentionally hurt me. And if you're like me, you're struggling with that as well. But that is what Christ has called us to do. He has called us to go and go the extra mile when people offend us. If you're an American, verse 40 says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, you give them your coat. This is a violation of property right. It's a violation of your property right. And says, verse 41, it says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. This is a violation of, of your own personal liberty. The liberty we hold so dearly. So the ideals that are important to us, Christ is saying to us, eh, not too important. I want you to be the bigger person. I want you to step it up. I want you to have a relationship. The relationship is more important than being right. So turning the other cheek is not about being a doormat. It's about giving up your right. Somebody insults you, you don't insult them back. You turn around and you bless them. That's what he's asking us to do. Jesus was a very, very good example of that. When we go to retaliate against what somebody has done to us, it's born out of hatred. Basically, what you're trying to do when somebody has hurt you and you're going to retaliate is you want to inflict on them the same pain or more than they inflicted on you. I've never seen anybody who is going to retaliate against what's done for them and said, okay, they, they did this much for me, I'm going to go justice. You want, to feel, you want them to feel what you felt. And then you go say, how do you like that now? That's what we want to do. That's the natural thing to do. But it's not the Christian thing. The Bible says, Romans 12, 19, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but have room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repair, says the Lord. And this is the part I really want to focus on today because this is my testimony. The Lord says he will repair. That's somewhere in Proverbs where it says that the Lord will heap in a course of fire on the person. I'm not interested in the person's punishment. I'm interested in my, in my blessings. I'm interested in what's going to come to me because the Lord knows I've obeyed what he has asked me to do. That I've taken that higher ground. That I've gone that extra mile. That is what was of interest to me. There are so many reasons why we must not retaliate as much as we yearn to do so. 
And it just, sometimes it just feels good that if you were to say that one insult back to that person, just give it right back to them, you, you will feel so good. Sometimes it feels that way. But there's so many reasons you wouldn't do that, and I'll give you a couple. Number one is that because the scripture says so. Because the Lord tells us so. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. That's what the Bible tells us. Give him bread to eat. Imagine somebody who has just hurt you so badly, and you turn around and you go bring them bread to eat. I don't know how many of you are doing that. I don't do much of that. I want to. I really want to. So the first reason we have to is because the Bible tells us to do that. And it's the word of God and we have to obey that. The desire to revenge can cause you to do foolish things. This is another reason why you must stay away from revenge. It can cause you to do foolish things. An old lady bought a brand new Cadillac. Beautiful car. And she drove into a McDonald's. She was going to go get a cheeseburger. And there was one parking spot right in front of the, uh, of the entrance. And she wanted that spot. So she was driving slowly, very slowly. I don't know why old people drive slowly. They should drive faster. I think young people should drive slowly. They have all the time in the world. But she was driving very slowly. And she was getting to that uh, parking spot. And a group of teenagers were in another car. And they drive fast, of course. So they came right in. Even though she was blinking, she was signaling to get in there, they took the spot. They took the spot. But it wasn't, it didn't stop there. They came out of the car. And they looked at her and they started laughing. And they pointed and said, old lady, this is what it takes to be young and fast. And the old lady came out, she looks at them, she got back in her car, she put it in reverse, and then she put her foot down on the pedal. And she came back and she smashed that car to smithereens. Completely destroyed the car. And then she came out with a smile on her face. And she said, that's what it takes to be old and rich. Foolishness. Foolishness. Revenge can make you do foolish things. She could have walked away. She could have gone in there and bought them a cheeseburger. That's what Christ asked us to do. She would still have her beautiful car. The young people would have learned a lesson. It would have been an opportunity to preach to them, to share the gospel with them. But she chose the path of revenge. So revenge can make you do foolish things. Revenge can impede your blessing. When you have a hatred, and remember that revenge comes out of hatred, when you have hatred in your heart, it can impede your progress. It doesn't allow you to experience the blessings of God. That's one more reason to stay away from trying to avenge anything. And just take the high road as the Lord has asked us to do. Revenge puts you on the same level, if not worse, than the person who has hurt you. If you think about the situation with this old lady, she's worse off than those kids were. The kids were down there, yeah, they were bad kids. They didn't do any, know any better. But now she's the older, wiser, smarter person, but she's now gone down lower than they were. When you attempt to revenge, you get lower than the level, to the level of the person that you are trying to retaliate against. That's not what Christ asks us to do. Last week we heard from the Lord. He, say, he tells us that we have been called to more responsibilities, to greater responsibilities as children of God. So that's one reason we must stay away from trying to revenge anything. 
But what happens when you don't revenge? When you don't, you have an opportunity to share the gospel. I've had a few instances in my life where the Lord helped me to walk away from revenge. I wouldn't be here today sharing this with you if I had tried to revenge what was done to me so many years ago. I had my first degree from the University of Lagos in Nigeria. There are people for whom school comes easy. They're not necessarily better people or worse people. They're just it's easy for them. They may be terrible at other things, but school just comes easy. I happen to be one of them. I failed at a lot of stuff, but school, very easy. I didn't have any money when I was in college. I didn't have any money to buy food, to buy books, or to buy anything. So I, would, I was lucky. I was blessed to have some classmates who were lazy. So I said to them, hey, you know, why don't you buy the books and I'll read it and I'll tell you what's in it. <laughs> and they did. They did. I never bought a single book. But I had all the books that we needed. So they would buy the books and I would go read them and then I would tell them what's in it. So it wasn't a surprise that when the time came to graduate, I was top of the class. I had, now, there's something called a first class degree. Those from Africa would know what first class degree means. Somebody said to me here that it's like summa cum laude and I said no. It doesn't, summa cum laude doesn't come close. And the reason it doesn't, I'll tell you that is this. In the 25 year history of that university, I was the first one from the Faculty of Arts. I was the very first one. And this was in 1988. And there has only been one more since then. So it's, it's, it's extremely difficult to get a first class degree. But it was easy for me. It was easy. I didn't have to kill myself to do that, but I, I, I did that. And when you get a first class degree, it is assumed that you're automatically going to be a professor. You had a job lined up in the department. Nobody contests that. It's yours. So now imagine my shock and my surprise. This is somebody who's the entire Senate of the university gave a standing ovation at graduation because it was the very first time it ever happened in the history of the, of the faculty. When I was told that I did not get the job, you're supposed to have that job while you did your graduate program and automatically become a professor afterwards. Somebody came to break the news to me that I didn't get the job. And I was confused and hurt. And I went to the dean of the faculty and said, Sir, could you help me understand what happened? How did I not get the job? And he looked at me and he was confused. He said, the department coordinator, your department coordinator, came to me and told me you didn't want the job. And I, I couldn't understand that because I never had any conversation with anybody about, about the job. So this person, who liked me a little less than others did, went to the faculty to tell them that I declined the job. And the job was given to somebody who had a second-class upper division. Happened to be a very close friend of mine, actually my best friend in school. But he was far less qualified, and he got the job. And the dean was confused, and he didn't understand. He said, he said, I said, he said, we're so sorry. He said, he came to me, and he told me that you had a scholarship to study abroad. And so that you declined the job. I was devastated. I didn't apply for any scholarship. I didn't apply to go anywhere. I was banking on that job. So I had an opportunity to be upset and vengeful. As a matter of fact, I started thinking about how I was going to get back at this guy for, what is the, for, for, for taking my future. I was thinking about that. But as I prayed about this, the Lord gave me peace about it. 
And I don't understand why and how, but he gave me peace. And I was able to let it go. I would go into his office and, and, and I would greet him and, and run errands for him and so on. But it didn't stop there. And this is, when I, this is why I said that sometimes you run out of cheeks. It didn't stop there. Several months after this happened, the dean invited me to his office and he asked me to apply for, 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 for study abroad. He gave me a form. I filled out a form, gave it to him, and the, the application was sent off. I received a letter from the University of Cambridge in England telling me I had been admitted for postgraduate program. Now, if you are from that part of the country, we didn't have addresses of our own. So if you're, if you're living on campus, your letters will go to your department. And while this was going on, the head of the department had passed away. He was my academic advisor. And this guy who didn't like me as much as the other people did became the head of the department. So when the letters came from Cambridge, that's with my name on it, coming from Cambridge, he would take them and he would toss them aside. Never gave a single one of them to me. So Cambridge kept writing, asking what was going on, why I wasn't responding to it. I never got them. So when the wife of my advisor went to clean up her husband's office, she found a stack of letters this high with my name on it. She was floored. She couldn't understand it. We opened the letters. These were my admission papers. These were my scholarship papers. And then we saw the last letter from Cambridge that said, we assume you have abandoned this scholarship and we're closing your file. Now imagine, put yourself in my situation. This is a poor kid that couldn't afford to buy food as a student. Had the opportunity to go study at the University of, the, of Cambridge. Arguably the best university in the entire world on a full ride, and somebody takes it away. I was beyond livid. There were friends of mine who came together and said, we know how we're going to get back at this guy. There were people who were willing to make him pay. But again, in a way that I could never understand, the Lord gave me peace over this. The department scrambled, so my friends, friends scrambled, petitions were written to Cambridge, and, and, and affidavits were sworn and all that, and Cambridge received that, and miraculously sent me another letter and said, next year we will consider you for a scholarship. And the very next year, they sent me a letter of scholarship, full ride to go to Cambridge. Now, when I go back, and I go back quite often, and I go to my department. I see him. I take him to lunch. I take him to dinner. We have a relationship today. My friend who got the job, I bring him here to the States. I take him to conferences. But I'll tell you, if I stayed back, if I had stayed back there, I wouldn't have the life I have today. And I wouldn't trade my life today for anything in the world. I wouldn't. God put me where he wanted me to be. And I strongly believe that the reason was I did not spend my time being vengeful and being angry. And when I tell you this, it makes me sound like I'm a saint. But I can tell you 12 stories where I did the opposite. And on each one of them, I fell flat on my face because I disobeyed the Lord. And I'm sometimes knuckle-headed. It takes me a while to get it. Not too long ago. And this is really one of the reasons Pastor Selwyn wanted me to preach today. Not too long ago. I worked for a company where I had a few people that were uh, working for me. That were under me. And for a reason I couldn't understand at the time, the leadership of the company wanted me to get rid of somebody who was under me. And I couldn't do it. 
First of all, if I fire this person, he would have 90 days to get out of this country because he was a foreigner and had an H-1B visa in process. If I, if I fired him, he would only have 90 days to get out of the country. That was one. Number two, if I fired him, he would lose his health insurance and his wife was critically ill. He would lose his health insurance and his wife would probably die. Number three, this person was not a bad worker. He wasn't any different, any worse than any other person in, 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 the, uh, in the entire department. So I went to the bat for him and I tried everything possible. I said, look, if this is about bottom line, we will find a way to cut costs, but we got to keep this guy. We can't fire him. But I got so much pressure, so much pressure to make this happen, and I continued to resist it. I would go home and I would be wide awake all night long thinking about this guy and his circumstances. It came to a point where I realized that it was me or him. Either I did what they asked me to do, or I was gone. Fortunately, it wasn't easy to fire me, because it's very difficult at the time to go from you know, saying somebody was a stellar performer to, 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 to you know, saying, you got to get out of here. So for them to do that, they had to first begin to systematically dismantle my reputation. They started with little lies. They started with instigating the people that worked for me. They started with undermining my authority. They started with trying to make me look like I was incompetent. And they knew they had time to do that. And I knew the, the, the way it worked because I had been asked to do that with somebody else. I've been asked to lie on somebody's performance review so we can set him up to be fired. And I said, no, I wouldn't do that. So that began to happen. So I would come in here and I would go to Pastor Selman and we would pray over it. And I would go back and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And then it came to a point where as I prayed and I cried out to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I'm not going to do what I ask him to do. There has to be a reason why you put me here. And I can't be responsible for letting somebody like this go for no justifiable reason. And it was one of those few times that the Lord would speak very, very clearly. Very clearly. And the Lord said to me that I need to get out of there. But it wasn't that I need to get out of there alone. That I needed to start a company where I can help people like that. It was very clear. And then I shared that with my wife, and my wife said, well, about time. So I left. I remember coming in to talk to Pastor Selwyn, and I said, Pastor, I'm going to go start my own company. I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I've, I've prayed over it. I'm going to start my own company. And he said, yes, do that. And I'm looking at him like, can't you see I'm terrified? That's not what I want to hear. I want you to talk me out of it. But it was like, yes, congratulations. What do you mean, congratulations? But I went ahead to, to, to do the cooperation and start the, the, the company and all that. But here is where the disobedience begins to come in. Shortly after I did that, shortly after I did that, I started getting offers from everywhere. The offers were pouring in. And I remember getting one offer one day, and they were asking me to come into Boston for an interview. And I, I said to my wife, I said, hey, look, at what's good. She said, why would you do that? She said, why would you go for the interview? I said, let me just go talk to them. Let me see. This is after the law was clear to me that I was to start my own. I said, let me go talk to these people. I said, I'm not looking for a job, but let me just go talk to them. So I went there, and I spoke with some people, and then they took me to the CEO of the company, and I spoke with the CEO, and all I wanted to do was just share my thoughts on some of the problems they were having. And, and so he told me all his prob the problems the company was running into, and I gave me a few tips, and I said, well, I got to go. I, I'm not really looking for a job. And he's looking at me, then why are you here? I'm like, well, no, I just, I spoke with somebody, and I wanted to just help, and, and I got to go. So I left. 
when I came home, I got a phone call from the CEO, and he said, what will it take for you to come work for us? And I said, I'm not really looking for a job. He said, think about it. You tell me what it will take. And I said, okay, I'm going to mess with them. Right? I said, I'm going to mess with them. So I found a number that I considered to be ridiculous. Right? And then I, I, I put some other things on top. I said, I want my own parking space. In Boston, downtown Boston. Like I said, some really stupid things. Right? The next day, he calls me again. He said, deal. I said, did you hear the part where I said I wanted my own parking space? He said, yeah, we've got a parking spot for you. Okay. So this was on a Friday, right? So Friday night, I did not sleep. I was wide awake all night long. Saturday night, I did not sleep. And on Saturday night, I was looking at my wife, and she was sleeping soundly right next to me. And I wanted to kick her. I wanted to kick her so she can wake up and be miserable with me. So the next morning, I said, I said, how could you be sleeping? I said, I was agonizing over this thing. And she said to me, I told you not to go. She said, that's a self-inflicted injury. I told you not to go. So finally, I called them back and I said, I'm not coming. I said, it's not about the money. It's not about anything else, but I just can't do it. I said, I got to do what my, my God has asked me to do. So I set up on my own. First client I had, they tell me, oh, how would you, con- would you consider coming to be the CIO for us? I'm like, no. I didn't let them finish. Because I didn't want to go back and f- not sleep again. I said, no. So, would you think about it? No, I'm not thinking about it. The reason I tell you this story is to tell you how the Lord can actually repair exactly the way he wants it to be. I have had incredible success. I've had the most amazing things happen. And I'm not talking about dollars and cents. I'm just talking about relationships that I've been able to build. I'm talking about the the quality of life and the quality of work and the work-life balance and all the good things that you look for. I get to work from home for as long as I want. But here's the kicker. When I called this other company and I spoke with the guy who did all of those things to me, when he heard my voice, it took him a little while before he would respond. And he said, is that you? I said, yes, that's me. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'd like to come in so we can get lunch. He paused, and then he said to me, he said, you are the only person I know who will do what you're doing now after what we put you through. He said, you are the only person I know who will do that. This opened an opportunity for me to share. They knew I was a Christian, but I never had an opportunity to actually share the gospel with them. And this gave me that in I was looking for. And this was my time to say, this is not about me. This is about God. This was my opportunity to begin to talk about the blessings that God has laid in my way since this happened. This was an opportunity for me to tell him, don't beat yourself up about this. It wasn't about you. You were only an instrument that the Lord was using to bring me where he needed me to be. Today I have a great relationship with everybody in that management chain. It's the relationship God wants us to build. Again, I am not a saint. I can tell you 12 more stories where I didn't do this. I'm sharing this with you today because I know that I'm struggling with this. And I know that I can't be alone in this struggle. I know there are so many other people who are struggling as well. As we wrap up, I'm going to ask Tim to come. If you are in this same situation as I am, if you are able to forgive, or if you're not able to forgive, if people wronged you and you're dealing with it and you're struggling with it and you're finding it hard to let it go, 
Or maybe you can forgive, as I'm able to most times, but you can't go that extra mile. That desire to be revengeful, you haven't quite gotten there yet. We can pray together over this. Because you know you can't do this by yourself. None of us can. These are one of those things where you need the Holy Spirit to aid you. You need the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, to help you get there. His word says that when the Spirit comes upon us, we shall receive power. It is not just power to do great things. It's power to overcome some of the things we're struggling with. So I'm going to have the prayer team come forward. I want to give everybody here the opportunity. We need to be praying about this. Because that's what God has called us to do. We cannot be saying that we are followers of Christ if we are not doing what he's asking us to do. If we are not any different from the people who have wronged us. I struggle with this. If you are in that same boat and and, and you need prayer this morning, this afternoon, please come forward. Don't go home without being prayed for or without praying with somebody over this. I know that I cannot be alone in this situation. I've been a Christian a long time and I do everything that I can to listen to God. But I know I still struggle. And so do you. So we're going to close in prayer. But please don't leave without coming and having somebody pray with you over this. Let us bow to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your message this morning. Thank you for your word to your people. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you have called us to a higher place. As followers, your followers, oh Lord, that you have more responsibilities for us. But you also have abundance of blessings for us as we hear you and as we do your word. Would you allow your message this morning, Lord, to take root in our hearts? Will you release this spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to aid us, to help us? And we will be able to get to where you need us to be. Would you have your way in our lives, O Lord? Would you touch us? Would you change us? Would you encourage us? For we pray today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.